Movies, and a rap. This piece is banging, y'all! Movies, and a rap. And a rap. And a rap. Movies, movies. Move, move, movies, and a rap. Yes, you are very welcome back to Movies and a Wrap, the podcast where we talk movie news, reviews, what's new, and we finish with a 60-second wrap. I'm your host, Alex Gogarty, and you are very welcome back to the show. It's the final episode, final episode of this season, the very last one. Uh, interesting insight for you. The final countdown, that song, used to be my like internal mantra that I would sing if I ever had intrusive thoughts as a child. So I'll give you an example. When I was like nine or ten, I w- remembered I would as you would probably at that age, have thoughts about naked women. And of course, the Catholic boy in me was like, no, this is so wrong. So I was obsessed with that song at the time and I used to just repeat over and over in my head, it's the final countdown. Like probably for tens of minutes, if not an hour on end on repeat. And that song to this day, it kind of triggers me (laughs) if I hear it. It reminds me of um, of those dark, confused times as a child. So a little bit of oversharing for you there to start the first minute of the podcast. What are we doing today? Well, we are going to review a film. We are going to review another film, and we're going to review a TV series. There's not much else to report with myself, except for the fact that last Friday I went to the cinema as well. That was a big deal. First time going to the cinema since they reopened. It was good. Saw In the Heights. Going to review that later on. However, I did, of course, make the fatal error of booking the second row from the front when I meant to book the second row from the back completely misread the seating plan they should make it so obvious that you can't do that like they should make it incredibly clear where the screen is now in their defense they did make it incredibly clear it was very very clearly labeled where the screen was but yet i still booked the wrong side so i laid the blame squarely on the shoulders of omniplex minds but it was great to go back my neck was bloody creaking though from looking up it does make a big difference when you're that close it makes a big negative difference to your enjoyment of the film though it reminded me again of a child this isn't overly oversharing don't worry but it reminded me of the difficulty you'd have as a child going to the cinema and actually seeing the screen i remember being so small that you know the the seat in front of you first of all posed a problem and then if there was someone tall sitting in front of you it was like massively going to impact what you could see of the screen and it was always such a lottery pick because you know, invariably as a child, if you're going to the cinema, it's usually during the day and the vast majority of other people in the cinema are also children. If you've got a child sitting in front of you, usually you're okay. You might only be blocked maybe 20% of the screen, most of that coming from the chair. But God forbid an adult and God forbid a tall adult would sit in front of you and then you might as well just be watching back of the head too. It's the back of someone's head for two hours. So I think normalize kids going to the cinema on their own adults drop them off chill outside just kids in the cinema watching movies i mean it's a bug's life you're not gonna miss out too much so um but yeah thankfully i was able to see the whole screen just uh, not the best angle of it now it is the last episode as i mentioned but if this is your first time listening to the podcast you might be wondering why is under rap in the title well it's because we're going to finish this episode like every episode with a 60 second original rap written and performed by myself related to the content of this week's episode for this final week I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm using a real music track, not a free beat that I found on the internet. Hopefully, I mean, I don't know what the story with copyright is there. I Google stuff online. The advice is mixed. Most of it says, don't use a copyrighted song, (laughs) but I'm going to do it anyway. So if you're listening to this on the day of release, this might be the only day this is released and the Spotify and Apple podcast gods might immediately 
cancel both me and my podcast bus we're gonna go and we're gonna go for it. we're gonna live on the edge but before we do that we're of course gonna do some reviews but before we do that we are going to chat through some news 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 yes it is the news section guys where we chat through the hottest movie and tv news as chosen by myself from the past week and we're going to open with one that is a redemptive feature from last week so last week you might remember i was discussing an upcoming film called everest which i was lampooning to everyone's delight because there is of course another film called everest released six years ago now this is quite the opposite i saw this headline and i was like that's the one of the most unique and attention-grabbing titles for a film i've ever seen so directed by zoe kravitz who will be starring as Catwoman in um, the Batman reboot, the Batman coming out next year. Her first film, her first, her directorial debut, and it is called Pussy Island. <laughs> I wondered, is that too outrageous a thing to say in my podcast? But then, of course, it is going to be the title of a major release film. So, uh, I mean, a lot more people than the tens upon tens that listen to this podcast are going to hear and receive that name in the near future. So the reason it's in the news recently, I mean, about a month ago because of its announcement, but more recently because Kravitz has found her lead. So Naomi Aki has joined the cast as the protagonist. You might know her from Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. That's probably her her best known feature. She was one of the other ex-stormtroopers that Finn meets up with and they kind of have a a semi-resistance together. But previously announced is going to be the her, I suppose, co-star, maybe more antagonist, um, Channing Tatum is going to be in the film. So I'll read you the, the uh, plot because it doesn't sound the most unique, yet it is intriguing. So this plot summary is coming from EmpireOnline.com. So the story follows Frida, who's played by Aki, a young, clever Los Angeles cocktail waitress who has her eyes set on the prize, philanthropist and tech mogul Slater King, played by Channing Tatum. When she skillfully maneuvers her way into King's inner circle and ultimately an intimate gathering on a private island, she is ready for the journey of a lifetime. Despite the epic setting, beautiful people, ever-flowing champagne, however, Frida can sense that there's more to this island than meets the eye. Something terrifying. So, it is a thriller. It's certainly got the shock value. Will it live up to its title? One would bloody hope. But there is hope in the world of film and movie titles when we can see a second film called Everest and also a new film called Pussy Island released in the same year. So good news, good news. Now, similarly to Everest, there's going to be a second Cinderella film later on, released later on this year. I mentioned this in the pod previously. Camila Cabello is starring as the title role. There was a Cinderella film released six years ago as well. So more derivativation. And there's some more Disney live action news announced which is that our live-action Snow White has been cast. Rachel Zegler has been cast as the lead in Disney's latest iteration of Snow White, which should start filming this year. So not probably not going to be released till the end of next year. Now, you might not be aware of her, but she's probably going to be one for the future as well. Recently cast as a lead in West Side Story, the reboot coming from Steven Spielberg. Now she'll also be Snow White. Mark Webb is going to be directing that and the music will come from La La Land Oscar winners Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. So I I, I haven't really watched the live action, these, the, these live action remakes, but they just make so much money. I think Cinderella made a billion, Beauty and the Beast made a billion. I remember reading a few years ago that this was upon the release of, I think, the announcement of The Lion King, like CGI live action remake-esque. At the announcement of that film, so this is probably announcement-wise about four years ago, they had 21 films planned that were all not original films, so all live-action remakes of previous animated Disney releases. This is just the next one in line. 
but I mean, they each of them have the chance to do something new. I think there are going to be evidently original songs in it. But Rachel Zegler also going to be in Shazam, the Shazam sequel next year. Keep your eyes and ears out for that name because that girl is making waves. Now, speaking of La La Land, a new film and many new announcements cast-wise coming from Damien Chazelle next year. So the film is called Babylon. Damien Chazelle, you might know as the director of La La Land and also Whiplash and First Man. Let's chat about Babylon first. So this looks like one of those films that are just, it's just created purely for, for Oscars because there's nothing the Hollywood industry and, and actors and writers like more than themselves and their own industry. And so make a film about the industry, much like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or anything about the creation of classic Hollywood films or writers behind the scene and that kind of stuff. You're guaranteed for at least critical attention, if not success, but most probably success as well when it's in the right hands. So Babylon is set in the late 1920s and according to Empire, will explore the disruptive period in movie making where the industry transitioned from silent films to talkies, the story following multiple characters whose fortunes rise and fall. So exactly Exactly the Hollywood kind of, I don't want to say ideal film, but certainly something that's going to pique their interest. Now, why it's making waves in the news is due to the cast. So previously announced on the cast are Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, both of whom actually starred in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Catherine Watson, Manx Minghella, uh, Eric Roberts, PJ Burns, Samara Weaving. And then only this week announced to have joined the cast were Olivia Wilde, Spike Jones, Tobey Maguire and Phoebe Tonkin. So a massive and very impressive cast. But why this is more news is is because it's from Damien Chazelle. So he pretty much has only made hits, critical and commercial. The f- probably least known film would be his debut feature, which is called Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. It was black and white, independent film. Didn't get a, um, a, a huge amount of attention, but has now retrospectively because, because of his success. But as I mentioned, 2014, Whiplash, 2016, La La Land, and 2018, First Man. All class films, all smash hits, Critically, with critics and La La Land, lest we forget, for that, Chazelle won the Oscar for Best Director. He was the youngest person ever to win an Oscar for Best Director at 32. He's still he's only 36 and he ha- has had the success that he's had. So that almost definitely will be a big, at least talking point when it's released next year. But with that cast as well, that's going to be one. That's going to be one. That's going to be one that people take note of and hopefully will also be good. Next piece of news, speaking of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, look at this for segues, triple segue in a row. The novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the film came out only this week, penned by none other than the film's writer and director, Quentin Tarantino. So it's Tarantino's first novel. And I suppose the main news here is that it's being revealed so well. It's It's got really good reviews in The Guardian, New York Times. It's a number one bestseller now. So he's now a bestselling author as well as a, a, a massive, massive director. It's impressive because a lot of novelists do transition successfully to screenwriting. It's it, when you think about it, it 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 makes sense. You're distilling your your baby, your literary work into something for the screen. You, the the work is already there. You just have to adapt it to something that focuses a lot on dialogue and then essentially, um, I suppose instructions for a cinematographer and for a director. So you would expect that most novelists, not all, not all, but most would be able to do so. But to make the reverse jump is is a big difference like tarantino writes exclusively for film he doesn't write you know scene setting descriptive pieces he his exposition can only ever come from dialogue or from shots in a film as opposed to you know the the much more freedom that you have with prose and now he's completely been thrown in the opposite end where he doesn't have 
the use of camera visual effects or, or just visuals in general to tell a story he has to write it all in the book and apparently he's done very well one interesting part that's come out of the book or one interesting wrinkle i should say is the further exploration of brad pitt's character so you might remember in once upon a time in hollywood if you've seen it came in came out in 2019 brad pitt won the oscar for his portrayal of cliff booth who is a stuntman character and part of his backstory is he may or may not have killed his wife and we kind of get a flashback flashback scene where he's on a boat with his wife who's kind of berating him and he has a harpoon gun and then it kind of cuts away and you're led to believe that he might have shot her with the harpoon gun on purpose we don't actually know but apparently the novel has revealed that he did indeed kill her on purpose, then immediately regretted it. So, I mean, this article I was reading on Cinema Blend says that it's quite redemptive because he did do it on purpose, but then the way the book explains it, he he regretted it afterwards and they kind of talked for the next seven hours until they were rescued and then she died. Either way, so it's kind of like, ah, oh, he's kind of, he's not a totally bad guy. But I mean, from reading that brief article, I mean, he still killed his wife. So that is a black mark in my book. So fair play to Quentin can now add best-selling author to his CV. Will it be one that I read? Probably not. I tell you what I would read, though. Novelization of Reservoir Dogs. Better than Pulp Fiction. Don't at me! Don't at me, don't at me. But also only the second best Tarantino film behind Inglorious Bastards. Don't at me! Don't at me, don't at me, don't at me. Okie doke. And the last piece of news. It's not even really news. It's just like, uh, are we surprised? It's vindication of what has been a lot of critical and negative news releases since the announcement of this film, which is that Harrison Ford has injured himself while rehearsing for filming for the new Indiana Jones film. I mean, he's he's very old. He's, let me, let me, how old is he? Harrison Ford, I'm going to say 73, 78. He's almost 80 years old. Are we surprised? Should he be doing it? Is it now, is this, is the safety, should the safety be taken out of his hands? And should someone be saying to him, you can't, you shouldn't be doing this anymore. You're so old. It wasn't even re- re- like, wasn't performing a scene. It was rehearsing for a scene, an action scene. I believe he injured his shoulder. Indiana Jones and the broken shoulder. Like w- someone should pack this in. I don't think there's an appetite for this film to be seen. Well, I mean, there must be if they're making it, but I, we're, we're a little bit over it. And he's definitely over it, but it, I mean, the bloody hill, but wishing him well also wishing that the film gets packed in that's it for news this week guys let's move on to the next section movie and tv reviews 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 okay reviews time as i mentioned back to the cinema what a film to return to the cinema with in the heights cinema adaptation of lin-manuel miranda's successful broadway musical his first actually so released before and put on stage before and, and very successful before Hamilton, but now adapted and probably getting slightly more recognition recognition since Hamilton. So set in New York, it seems kind of strange, the time. I, 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 it's almost like a there's an almost timeless element. Like it could be set in the 80s, if not for everyone's smartphones. There's no real allusion to modern day technology. So I, I suppose because I think it's drawing from his childhood and he originally wrote it in, in the 90s. So I suppose it's kind of you know evolved since then. But set in a predominantly Puerto Rican and Dominican Republic and kind of Cuban area of New York following a young charismatic lead character in his late 20s called Usnavi who runs the local bodega and across some of the other kind of younger mid to late 20s characters in the area how they interact with each other what they do in their lives how they either are leaving planning to leave or planning to come back to this area of new york it's weird it's hard to explain because there's not a huge amount of plot that's the one negative i'll say so it is really good really liked it great spectacle 
if you ask me what the plot was, I mean, I could tell you some strands of things that occur. It kind of revolves around a blackout that occurs in New York City. It's hard to know. I, I couldn't really see if that's based on a real life blackout or not. And so the kind of the, the days are we're counting down to the blackout. So the opening scene is like three days to blackout or something. Plot is certainly not central to proceedings. What is, as I mentioned, is spectacle, music, especially dancing. Music and dance are at the core of this, maybe even more so than Hamilton. So it's interesting that this was attempted to be made into a film in about 2008 and it kind of fell through. Now, obviously, with the massive smash that Hamilton is, people were clamoring, at, chomping at the bit even to produce more recently this film. I'm glad that it was. Didn't know any of the songs beforehand. Was bowed over during it. Belt, bolt. I was bowed over by the performances. Really, really high quality of singing. Amazing dancing. Quite infectious dancing. Like it's 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 a lot of kind of shoulder movements and stuff that you think I could probably do that. But then you see as as the dance goes on, you're like, no, I can just never. I can just not. I don't have the natural rhythm to do anything depicted on screen. So it, it both inspired me and also shook me to the core in that I want to do that oh wait I can't do that I would not rank it as up there with the best musicals I've seen I actually preferred we mentioned La La Land earlier in this podcast I prefer La La Land myself probably not as strong with the singing or dancing as compared with In the Heights but certainly a much better plot and, and definitely better acting but if you like spectacle I've, take a shot every time he says spectacle if you like singing dancing that kind of vibe and you aren't so you don't care as much about the plot especially when it's over two hours long then in the heights is most definitely for you it's a good seven and a half out of ten and yeah good good stuff good 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 liked it a lot now on the massively opposite end of the positivity spectrum i also watched gone baby gone so that's it's charting at the moment in the netflix irish charts because it just was just released onto the platform i think it was number seven when i checked last Directed by Ben Affleck, starring his brother Casey Affleck in 2007. I spoke about Mayor of Easttown last week. It's kind of, it's similar vibes now. It's set in Boston, so it's not in rural America or small town America even. But it follows a, in this case, private investigator as opposed to a police officer who is searching for a missing girl. And in this case, a very young girl, seven-year-old, as opposed to um, a kind of late teenager. It was really good. Really, really good. I'm hesitant to be so positive about everything I speak about or most things I speak about on this podcast, but it was definitely one of the better films I've seen this year. I had heard many times that it was really good. I, If I'm being brutally honest, I'd actually avoided it mainly because of Casey Affleck. Like, now, he is class. I've seen, obviously, Manchester by the Sea. He's phenomenal. But there's an element to him that's that's just... I mean, he's slightly cancelled. He's got he's had some accusations against him that you know have been settled, but... Um, or just, you know, somewhat worrying about kind of predatory and not welcome behavior on set. And I know he's had issues in the past, you know, confronting that and has apparently put up behind him. So that kind of, it took, when, when I was watching it, he's, he's a phenomenal actor and it does kind of color your perception of the film. But as as an entity, and as a film as a whole, there's a lot of people involved and he is, is one of the more minor parts to it, to be honest, in terms of what's good about it. Morgan Freeman, minor role dissimilar to most other things i've seen him in he's not kind of an old and weary or kind of warm empathetic character he's very hard very almost angry doesn't smile police captain he was excellent ed harris a kind of mysterious police officer also turns in a great performance michelle monaghan the only morally pure character in the film who plays casey affleck's private investigator private investigator characters 
wife and work partner she was phenomenal she's a, she was a shining light in a very dare film it ultimately it, yeah it was almost flawless i would say a fantastic mystery piece i would probably give it a nine it was really 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 good and i am a big fan of ben affleck as well as a director and as an actor so um mahu ben on your directorial debut i wonder will zoe kravitz's directorial debut fare as well when it releases next year and that is of course called pussy island so yep nine out of ten definitely recommended and the last review and indeed recommendation this week and this season goes to a relatively little-known Netflix series called On Becoming a God in Central Florida. Now, the only reason I watched this is because I was scrolling through Netflix and then my mouse, you know the way they kind of do those little previews when you hover over one of the icons and it looked like the clip that was playing was Gwyneth Paltrow, but she looked like the sense of harsh but looked very haggard and kind of um very weary and um wearing a lot of makeup and i was like she's she's so into her image i'm so surprised like i don't know of her of gwyneth patcher playing any roles like that clicked into it it was actually kirsten dunce not gwyneth paltrow but intrigued i watched the clip and it it was detailing this series on becoming a god in central florida I'd never never heard of before set in the mid 90s and following a florida family and a lot of people based in florida and around the u.s who are kind of sucked into this pyramid scheme multi-level marketing kind of company where you have to buy a lot of their products and sell them to others but it's like almost like a cult called founders american merchandise and her husband is completely bought into it and he sinks in loads of money now at some point tragedy strikes and the lead character crystal played by dunst is left with a baby all this merchandise and doesn't know what to do with it so she kind of takes it in her own hands to get revenge and and con her way up the ranks of this company founders american merchandise very unique series it's quite quirky quite dark i don't know if i'd classify it as a drama it's probably more of a comedy kind of dark comedy drama uh more on the comedy side of things it is very funny very quirky finished the first season it is yeah i would recommend it. it probably loses its way a little bit towards the end but to watch something different and for a a really good performance actually by Kristen Dunst in the lead role I would recommend it probably 7 out of 10 on Becoming a God in Central Florida on Netflix check it out that concludes the review section guys and for our final episode of Movies and Rap we're going to go straight to the final section which is the rap now it's time for a rap no seriously no I'm serious it's rap time yes indeed it is the time for a rap it is the last rap of the season and for the backing track, I've chosen one of my favorites, a melding of the greatest minds in pop, ABBA and Madonna. I may very well get called up for a copyright or for infringement or one of those things, in which case this will be taken down. But YOLO, 10th episode, let's take some risks. I hope you very much enjoy and thank you for listening. Time goes by and it's episode 10 Need to sign on the line but I'm left with no pen Yeah, movies and a rap, put movies on the map But I'll do it any longer and I won't have any friends Yeah, digging all the thrillers and we're digging the drama Rapping half flows like we're swimming in lava No more thoughts please about the birds and the bees Just sing inside your head and avoid the palaver Oh, oh, everybody to the dance floor Movies and a rap gave you everything you asked for Cringy like a vlogger and more pacey than a pastor Sneaking your feet like a stranger through the back door Oh, oh, tell it like it really is Another white boy whining like an idiot Barking through bars that border on oblivious End of season one, why? so serious I'm hung up
That is it. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. That is episode 10, which is the final episode of season one of Movies and a Rap. Thank you so much for listening. You can probably tell I ran out of rhymes there in the last verse. I had to quote The Dark Knight. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Either this episode, several episodes, or all of them. I very much appreciate it. Special thanks to my girlfriend, Molly, who proof-listened to every episode, and also to the Tall Tales podcast crew for their assistance and promotion. Movies and a Rap will return until it does the email is still open moviesandarap at gmail.com and the episodes will still be there except for maybe this one if it gets removed thank you very very much again and we'll see you next time